It's time for Security Now. Steve Gibson is here. Such a big security week. He's just going to talk about security news. Everything from the big Adobe breach to the idea that viruses could leap through the air. And a couple of engineers at Google respond to NSA spying allegations with a profanity-laced post. It's all coming up next on Security Now. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Audio bandwidth for Security Now is provided by the new Winamp for Android, featuring wireless sync and one-click iTunes import. Now with free daily music downloads and full-length CD listening parties. Download it for free at winamp.com slash Android. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson. Episode 429, recorded November 6th, 2013. Monkey was 26th. Security Now is brought to you by IT Pro TV. Are you looking to upgrade your IT skills or prepare for certification? IT Pro TV offers engaging and informative tutorials streamed to your Roku computer or mobile device. For 50% off the lifetime of your account, go to itpro.tv slash security now and use the code SN50. And by ProXPN. ProXPN is a virtual private network that allows you to use the Internet the way it should be, anonymously and without oversight. For 20% off your new account, go to ProXPN.com and use the code SN20. It's time for Security Now, the show that protects you, your privacy, and your loved ones online. And it does all that thanks to this man right here, the explainer-in-chief, Mr. Stephen Tiberius Gibson. <laughs> he, is, he is the guy. You keep saying that, it's going to work its way into the Wikipedia page. That's, That's my goal. That's what's going to happen. Hey, yeah. if Mark, if Moxie Marlin Spike can be named Moxie Marlin Spike, you can be Steve yep. Tiberius Gibson. And we take him very seriously Heck because yes. he knows what he's talking about. He is, yeah. in fact, going to be the subject of one of uh, your screeds today. We we have a lot of tech news, so much so that we maybe won't get to questions. Is that right? <sighs> yeah, I, there's so much happened this week and really fun, interesting stuff that lots, I mean, I, I was busy tweeting things, so my Twitter feed is full of links that, People may want to check, and I was actually tweeting a bunch this morning as I was finding things that I wanted to talk about. Um, and this, I was sort of my plan was originally that this would be another Q and A because we'd been skipping so many Q and As just because there was too much happening. We weren't able to get to them, so I thought let's do a little makeup Q and A. But too much happened again, so <laughs> <laughs> it got. It got pushed off. That's all right. We'll get to questions. I, you know, that's I someday. Couldn't decide whether, I couldn't decide whether to call this Monkey Was 26th or 256 Bits is the New Black. Um, So we've got... A, we've got <laughs> Boy, those are both uh, intriguing Yeah, titles. we've got a new zero-day Windows Office vulnerability. We've got an update on the TrueCrypt auditing project. Uh, Ladar Levinson wants to raise money. Viruses are leaving the network and leaping across the room. We've got. <laughs> I really want to know your take on that one, by the an way. An escalation of the crypto locker battle. 
uh, new a major new update to LastPass, Sync News from BitTorrent, Google versus the NSA, my reactions to the iPad Air, uh, Ender's Game, and my discovery of the best iPhone case after trying 50 of them. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, maybe we'll have time for a sponsorship or two. I'm not really sure, though. You better get one in right now, Leo. Otherwise, it's just it's not going to be any, any hope. By the way, it has made it to your Wikipedia page. You are now Steve Tiberius Maury Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> it's not how you spell Tiberius, kids. But other than that. Boy, those, boy, those editors are fat. <laughs> <laughs> it's I-U-S. Squirrel has a Wikipedia page, by the way. SQRL? Well, of course it does. I would expect yeah. that, yeah. I'd absolutely expect that. Our show today, uh, we'll get to uh, all of that and more in just a bit, but our show huh. today brought to you by our friends. That, at- was, that, that was a summary, by the way. I know. That you was- did a nice job. I thought that was, this is a new feature of the show. There's so much in it. It's like a Victorian novel. In the old days of Victorian novels, they loved lists. Remember? You would have, at the beginning of a Victorian novel, a chapter, in, in, it would say, a chapter heading would say something like, in which our hero discusses... <laughs> You know, or it takes on the the champion boxer of, and it goes on and on and on. They, the Victorians I worry love that sometimes. Stuff. I worry about sometimes science fiction books where you open up the book back when you could open up a book. Actually, ebooks do it too, and they show you a fabulously detailed map of the universe. Yeah, with all kinds of little points noted, and you're thinking. Okay, wait. Will there be a test on this? Do I have to memorize this? What am I supposed to do with memorize this Memorize the universe. It shows random places that the author made up. Like, I, okay, I, know, I know anybody who listens to this show is a computer genius and a wizard, or certainly an aspiring computer genius and security expert. And this is a show where you learn so much. But, you know, if you want a job in IT... Uh, sometimes you need that little piece of paper. They call it a, it's not a diploma. It's a, called a certificate. Uh, there are a number of certificates that are very, very valuable. The MCSA certificates for Microsoft certified system. Uh, what is it? System administrator? Probably. Uh, there's the CCSE, this, this, the uh, Cisco certs, the A plus, the CompTIA. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the place to get it. Now, you can go out and take a course for thousands and thousands of dollars. You can buy a book for 50 or 60 bucks, or you can go to itpro.tv and learn without even knowing it. Get it? IT? Get it? It! <laughs> IT Pro TV is unabashedly, unabashedly built uh, in admiration of what we're doing here out of tech TV. Their set looks just like the screensavers, it's beautiful. They do a lot of the things we do here. Uh, these guys have uh, over ten years of experience in e-learning. I guess uh, you know they they claim that 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 uh, they saw my NAB talk and they said we should be we should be doing this. They use the cameras, the mics, the lighting, even the TriCaster that we use to do really great. I am so impressed. Uh, instruction. They have a Roku channel, so it makes it very easy to learn on your big screen TV. But of course, you can also watch on an iPad, a tablet, a computer. Topics like network security, laptop repair, VLAN, subnetting. The, the episode library is organized by exam objective, so you can totally study, um, you know, target those areas you need help with. They're also on live much of the day, which is just like us, and, which is really fun. And when you're on the live show, you can get into the chat and ask questions. They're totally interactive. Does this not look like the screensavers? These guys... In all cases... Uh, correct if I'm wrong, Don. Uh, in, in all cases, though, it um, 
it goes top to bottom. So I like going down down the list, you know, mm -hmm. as far as matching rules. Uh, let's say like uh, MAC filtering, right? So uh, MAC address comes in. It's like, okay, do you match this one or this one? Or you can see what they're talking. If you get the idea. Engaging stories, they share their experiences, makes it easy to remember the content, and you're just going to enjoy this. Even if you're already studying with a book or enrolled in a certification program or a technical degree program, this is a great supplement. Learn at your own pace in an enjoyable way. I love the giant computer fans behind them. I just think that's so cool. Um, this is great. This is really great. If I were logged in, we could chat with them. Uh, ask interactive questions. Now, uh, you, there's a lot of stuff on the site. You can actually watch live as I am now. Uh, for free. They are live right now. They like to be live during security now, I think. But if you go to um, itpro.tv slash security now, itpro.tv slash security now, we can give you 50% off for the lifetime of your account, which I think is really spectacular. Uh, you're going to have the, the, the run of the place in all these areas. Uh, and for an amazing price, normally $57 a month, $570 a year, which is still very affordable. Um, you can use our offer code SN50, and you will get it down to twenty eight fifty a month. Wow. Or if you want to subscribe for a year and get all of those certs, I bet in a year you could get most of them. SN50. SN50 is the offer code. We thank IT Pro TV for their support of Security Now. They were in the studio a little while ago, and it was really great to meet them. And I just feel like they're doing something really, really exciting. ITPro.tv slash Security Now. Good job, guys. Really, really neat stuff. Uh, Stephen Tiberius. I didn't know your middle name was Maury. Yeah, my dad was Maurice, and he never liked that. He... Uh, he just, I don't, you know, and in fact, I remember him telling me once that he, when he was choosing his name for me when I was in the process of being born, he wanted to, to deliberately choose a name that I would be proud of, that I would, uh, that I would like. I like, I like Steve. I think it's, you know, it's like, you know, Steve's Mark a great name. Is it Steven? S-T-E-V-E-N. Yes. Mm -hmm. Not P-H. Not P-H. Yeah. So I can call you Stephen Maury Gibson and you'd feel like you were in deep trouble. <laughs> The, uh, at the AI lab at Stanford, where I spent a couple of years, we used our initials as our logins. And so they were calling me Smog. Oh, I and love I thought, it. You know, you know, <laughs> I don't really want to be Smog. I hope it's they like, spelled okay, it not S-M-O-G, but in the true geek fashion, S-M-A-U-G. No, no. This, well, no. You know why? Smog is the dragon that hoards all that gold in The Hobbit that they go out and steal from. Yeah, that's a real pissed-off dragon at the moment. Yes. The, where we left him, he was not happy. Not happy, and I've seen the trailers for this Christmas. I'm very excited. I have, excited. too, it and it looks good. like he's getting more annoyed. <laughs> so I'm going to yeah. call you S-M-A-U-G. Or Smog. <laughs> Love it. Uh, okay, Love I'm it. getting myself in more trouble here. <laughs> All right, let's get, to, uh, let's get to the matter at hand. There's so, lots to talk about. Tons. So first off, standard business. Microsoft... Um, uh, issued a report a couple days ago that they had this sort of an emergency out-of-band report. They don't have a patch for this yet, but they were alerting people who subscribe to their various security lists that they have found targeted attacks using a deliberately malformed TIFF 
image file. You remember TIFF, tagged mm -hmm. image file format. Still quite widely used by uh, Photoshop users and others. Yep. Uh, you know, it was an early format. and It, it has the value the of being lossless. Uh, if it's got compression at all, lossless compression. Yep. So it's good quality. Um, so... Okay, the good news is the latest version of Office, th this affects Windows Office users. The latest version of Office, Office 2013, is not affected anywhere. Um, but Office 2003 and 2007, which is not the next most recent, because that would be Office 2010, but 03 and 07 are affected on across all platforms. All versions of Windows have this TIFF image file format problem. Office 2010 only has the problem on XP and Server 2003. So specifically not Windows 7 or 8 or Server 2008. I don't know who would be using Office on a server platform, but, you know, you never know. Um, so the exploit bypasses the Microsoft's uh, exploitation mitigations, the specifically DEP that we've talked about, data execution prevention. So it, you know, which is where you 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 mark regions of memory as being executable or not. So, for example, the stack would typically not have execution prevention. Well, this <laughs> avoids that problem, and also address address space layout randomization (ASLR), where code jumps to known locations to pick up little bits of of existing code and is able to knit together its devious needs that way and this bypasses those protections too so it's a problem microsoft has a quick fix um i did a i created a one of my little bitly shortcuts called notif so bit.ly slash Notif, N-O-T-I-F-F, -F, all lowercase, that'll quickly take you to Microsoft's page where all that they've done essentially is they've, turns out they've added a line in the registry to disable the TIFF codec. So it kills rendering of TIFF files. It also kills your ability for, to look at TIFFs. Well, but I don't know that that's going to really annoy anybody because as oh. you said, it's been around for a long time. No, it's would? still widely used. Absolutely. Oh. Oh, okay. Oh, no, no, so, no. That's not insignificant. Yes. It's So it will will kill your ability to see TIFF files. So so it's not right now these are targeted attacks mostly in Europe and Asia, not even in the US. But Microsoft knows how these things go. So and now the word is out. So if you don't have Office, you have nothing to worry about. If you've got Office 2013, you have nothing to worry about. If you've got Office 2010, but not XP or 2003, again, nothing to worry about. But you may, if you fall within that class where you, and you, you know, people are receiving email or being, or browsing to websites that display a TIFF file, or you get just have it, receiving the email with a TIFF embedded in it will display it and take over your computer. You don't even have to, you know, click on it or anything. So, uh, if you fit that profile, it may be worth disabling TIFF format file um, images unless you know you need them. And this little bitly shortcut will do that for you. All it does is add a line to the registry saying, uh, turn off that codec, please. 
Hmm. Now that's a, that's a pretty weak fix. I'm sure they'll have yeah. a patch next Tuesday. Oh yeah, I yeah, hope. absolutely. Um. Okay, I I, <laughs> I I labeled this Adobe face plant because <sighs> boy, boy did they they scared the hell out of me. I got the email a couple uh, like, like last week maybe. And they offer you a year's free security check. I have a credit card on file with them. Uh, they uh, well, in fact, they, they your, your email is, is your email is in the list. Um, oh, it I, is. I you had, checked? Uh, no, actually, people tweeted the fact to me because I sent them news that because I got a note from Joe Segrist at at um, LastPass that he had just added a new LastPass service. So anyone who wants to check can go to lastpass.com slash adobe, which, and they've done this before, we've covered it before. He's taken the entire database and made it instantly email address searchable because one of the things that was leaked oh, wow. was the password database, which contains everybody's email address in the clear. Now, what's really bad about this is i mean this is this is every best practice ignored so when they when adobe first announced the problem they said well don't worry because the the passwords were encrypted and people who knew like best practices thought well that's just probably some pr flack who didn't understand that what they really meant was hashed no, what they really meant was encrypted. <laughs> um, we're guessing based on the evidence because the block length of the encryption is 64 bits. And so we're, we're thinking, okay, well, maybe that's a DES. That, that is the encryption that DES uses with a key length of 56 bits. But it's probably triple DES because that's readily available and, and so there and the other is not yeah and you use des three times so you process this the out the you put to take 64 bits in and process it get 64 bits out yeah, yeah. then you send it in again to a to another round of des but with the next 56 bits worth of the key and then you do it a third time with the final 56 bits worth of key so you end up with a long enough key length and pretty good encryption and so the problem is that this is not the way you store passwords because what this what the an analysis of the database also showed and 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 this was posted on the internet the initial release was we we believed it was about three million customer records then as additional information came out, it looked like, well, maybe it was more like 38 million. Well, now we know that it's 130,324,429. Somebody said in the Guinness Book of World Records for the largest compromise in history. Likely, and anyway. It's gonna, yes, it's oh, also going to be yet. <laughs> the dumbest one yeah. because... Because the database that's out has all these records. Everybody's email address, their account ID, but apparently very few people actually had one in the database. But also the password hint, which was in plain text. 
And very it's revealing. Awesome. I've read some of these passwords. <laughs> yes, for example, rhymes with assword. That was my favorite. <laughs> what could that be? Yes. The title of the pa- of this podcast is Monkey is 26th. Because, of course, we've often talked about monkey and how, what a sort of a random-seeming word that is, which is always near the top. Well, Isn't that funny. I used to did, use it too. I don't understand what well, no, part that, of that, our brain. Yes. Yeah, I like "Let Me In." That was number twenty-five. That's just one above. We have "Sunshine," which is you know a positive. Um, Sophos has a really great on their naked security page analysis. Yes, of all this. and I have a, I I texted a I I tweeted a link to the Sophos page saying it was absolutely the best yeah. write up. That I have seen. Now, number one on the Adobe Hit Parade, (laughs) used by 1,911,938 individual people creating a password for themselves on Adobe's website. And the password is 123456. People clearly didn't take it seriously. But they, in many cases, I mean, I had credit card information in there. Well, no, that's the other problem is their credit card information was also encrypted. And the worry is it was encrypted the same way. Right Now, see, here's the problem is if they had used a salted hash where where the salt is a so-called initialization vector, you, you can you can have you can show the salt. You just want to, in fact, you need to to have the salt available because you add that to the user's password, then you hash it. Then you get out something that's of of fixed length, that is the length of the hash. And if the salt, the salt doesn't have to be secret. It just has to be a nonce, a so-called, you know, a number used once. It it just has to be a pseudo-random value that you mix in because what that does is it makes everybody's hash different, which is what you want. Because if that's not done, then everybody who has the same password gets the same hash. And as we know, there are rainbow tables that are basically big lookup tables where they've put in all these passwords once, done the hash, found the output, which makes it very easy to essentially reverse the hash. Well, Adobe didn't do that. Adobe used... A, the, a block encryption in the worst possible way. They use what's called, uh, it's ECB mode. We've talked about encryption modes where, where if, you, if you have a really good cipher like Rheindahl, you know, which was chosen as the AES, the, the, the encryption standard, which we're, everyone is encouraged to unify around because we know it's really good. The idea is that Every time you put the same thing in under the same key, you get the same thing out. So that's good, except, except that, that is, that's, that's like the, the simplest, dumbest way to do encryption. Because if different people's passwords, for example, just began, began with the same stuff, then... You're going to get the same thing out. 
So with electro and it's called electronic code book ECB because it's like a code book. Same pattern in, same data out. Same pattern in, same data out. That's why we know exactly how many people used one, two, three, four, five, six, because there are 1.9 million instances of EQ7 FIP T7I slash Q. That's what happens when you put one, two, three, four, five, six through this symmetric cipher. You get that out. Now, we don't know what the key is yet, which does that. And, and that's what probably people are working on right now, because that will then reveal everyone's credit card number. And they would probably like to have that. Mm. So the problem is there is a key which which you put this in and you get the, the same thing out. All Adobe had to do was once again use an initialization vector so that they would they would mix that in and and then every single instance would be different but they didn't they simply from 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 what we've seen they simply put the first 8 bytes of the password into des and encrypted it and out came a different 8 bytes then without any dependence that's the other thing you want to do with a symmetric cipher is you chain that's why cbc cipher block chaining is what you want to do you want to take the you want to take the output and then xor it with the next one's input that way the that you end up with a a reversible sequence that is it's possible to decrypt that but you that means that every successive block is dependent upon the one that came before. And the first block is dependent upon the initialization vector. So that's the proper way of doing encryption with a symmetric cipher. And Adobe didn't. They just, you know, used probably triple DES and said, eh, this is good enough. I mean, and of course, the, our listeners are always freaked out when they say, I forgot my password. And Adobe says, oh, here it is. You know, the fact that they can give it back to you, and they ought to be really embarrassed if they say, oh, here, it's one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, no kids are, yeah. are very good that it is. So anyway, this was just, this is, you know, from now, now is anyone worried or, or like confused about the problems we've had with Flash and, and PDF documents over the years? I mean, you know, this is the security that, that the company that produced, you know, Acrobat Reader and and Flash, which has caused so much grief for us all, the, the, this is their security practices. It would be prudent for everybody to change their Adobe password, but if you had a long, strong password, is there cause for concern? Um, if it were, if it were something that came out of LastPass, for example, yes, or that's that what mine up, is. Yeah, yes, or something like you know, <laughs> I, I have a password generator, grc.com, that lots of people use, which is just absolutely high-quality pseudo-random noise, then no one else will have used it, right. and you're okay. See, here's the problem. If, if you use a password that any of the other 130 million people might have used, and their, their plain text hint says, 
password is blank. <laughs> and many of them do that, by the way. Many of the password hints. <laughs> don't list. Don't say, do that. Yes. Of course, they shouldn't have it unencrypted, (laughs) but still. That's quite a hint. Anyway, so the point is, if if you used a password that anyone else used, and your hint was very good, but their hint was very bad, then because of the way Adobe did this, your encryption matches their encryption. Mm. And so the bad guy knows your password because the bad guy knows their password. I mean, this is this is so wrong in every way you can imagine. Wow. Yeah. So, Adobe faceplant. Yeah. And some. <laughs> um, uh, oh, and Sophos finishes up saying, <laughs> after all this, there's more to concern yourself with. Adobe also described the customer credit card data and other personally identifiable information that was stolen in the same attack as encrypted. And as fellow, this is the Naked Security blog on Sophos, as fellow Naked Security writer Mark Stockley asked, was that data encrypted with similar care and expertise, do you think? If you are on Adobe's breach list, and the silver lining is that all passwords have now been reset, forcing you to pick a new one, why not get in touch and ask for clarification? So, and I did mention that LastPass.com has now a slash Adobe page where you can check to see if your password was among those. And the wonderful, the ever wonderful XKCD.com. Oh, I love, I love their cartoon on this. Yeah, oh, yeah really good. Not to, be under, uh, uh, not to be outdone. It's number 1286. So XKCD.com slash 1286 describes this as the best crossword puzzle ever. <laughs> they did a great... Did a it good, is. It's kind of, that's kind of a good... Uh... Because really if you job. have the so the idea is you have the hint and you have the I guess do you have the length of the uh, password? Can you deduce that from the? Uh, no. Um, what happens is if it's the, apparently there's a null termination character as you know C stores ah. strings as seven characters plus a zero. So if the password is seven or fewer, it fits within one block of encryption, and so it's the first length. If it's eight characters of actual password, the the null zero in the end forces it out of the first block. So it requires two blocks in order to encrypt it. So that's where you see the two things, the first one and the second one. And if you thought you were doing a good job by using a really long password, Leo, I'm tempted to wonder. I mean, there's a password here. Um, Number 14, 61,453 people chose 1234 so there was no minimum length apparently or if there was it was 4 um i'm wondering if a password of 1 would have been accepted nobody chose 1 that i could see or at least not many because i'm only looking at the top the list of the top 100 i wouldn't be surprised if it's there somewhere because adobe certainly wasn't enforcing any minimum because 1234 was completely acceptable yeah oh, unbelievable 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 FS, FDSA, where is that? FD, oh, that's the first, that's ADSF backwards. <laughs> oh, clever. Oh, we got Ooh. chocolate. 
We have we have of course FY the expansion of that ever present. You wouldn't want it. You wouldn't want to miss the opportunity F, for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I wonder if they uh, take Michael, two letters. I could just do FU. That would save me some typing. Twenty-seven thousand four hundred fifteen people chose Michael as their password, <laughs> which is not up there with monkey, but it's up. It's close. No, well, we have you know why it's a good password because it's not my name. It's my kid's name. No one would guess that. Oh, yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Soccer. Yeah. <laughs> My sport. No one Tigger. would guess that. What? There, oh, there's Jennifer and Jordan right next to each other. Yeah, oh, and, and a number of our name. listeners did point out that number 70 on the list. You want to get there first, Leah? Monkey123? No, number nope. 70. Okay. Trust no one. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not Adobe. They listen to the show, but they don't quite understand it. <laughs> Oh, Peacock. Wow. I love it. Speaking of not understanding something, yeah. there is some reason to wonder whether a security researcher by the name of Dragos... Uh, uh, boy, I was oh, pronouncing I love it. his last name, yeah. Ruyu? Yeah, I don't know. R-U-I-U. Ruyu. Dragos Ruyu has made some claims. Now... He's apparently a, a researcher of some repute. Um, so what he wrote was not just ignored. No. But because of the the outrageousness, it was the single most tweeted thing that I received oh, all yeah. week. Oh, yeah. Because what he was claiming was that for three years, he's been battling some insidious... BIOS-based malware virus thing, which has been jumping from one system to the other. And he even it was even jumping onto laptops with no network connection, no wire, no Wi-Fi, yet it was leaping across the room. And so it wasn't until he disconnected the microphone and speaker on this laptop that he believed then that finally the computer was cut off, which led him to the conclusion, which is what upset everyone this last week, that this was an airborne audible networking virus using ultrasound. So our friend Dan Gooden at Ars Technica did a nice job. He said, as Ars reported last week, Dragos Ruyu said the malware first took hold of a MacBook Air of his three years ago. Boy, I have one. I'm glad I don't live near him. Uh, <laughs> with, a, with an earshot, anyway. <laughs> with an earshot, yes. And has since infected his laboratory computers running Windows, Linux, and BSD. Yeah. So it's a, you know, it's a, it's a multi-purpose piece well, of we malware. We should mention, the Dragos is... He's the the creator of Cansec West. He does the pwned own hacking competition. This guy's well known in the community. He's not yeah, the some just guy. A, he's not not a crank, yeah. which is why people took him seriously. Yeah. And then Dan says, even more intriguing are his claims. The malware targets his computer's low level BIOS system, unified extensible firmware interface. That's the UEFI or 
extensible firmware interface, which apparently was before it got unified, um, and allows infected machines to communicate even when they're not connected over a network. Now, finally, after a week of turmoil that this caused, our other good friend, Tavis Ormandy, who's we've, we've spoken of Tavis often, a Google security researcher, posted a note to Dragos. He said, Dragos. <laughs> what you I've smoking? Looked at, <laughs> I've looked at your... Yeah, that's the short version. <laughs> Tavis is very polite. Yeah. I've looked at your BIOS dump, your ProcMon procedure monitor, your ProcMon logs, font files, because there was also a claim that the fonts were infected, and your disk images. I see nothing. Just like it wasn't Colonel Clink. It was, I, I uh, know nothing was. Uh, I know nothing. I know That's nothing. It, I know nothing. Sergeant, somebody. Uh, Sergeant Schultz. Sergeant Schultz. Yes, <laughs> I see nothing. Says Tavis to suggest there is anything suspicious here. These are either all entirely consistent. And by the way, this was the evidence that Dragos made available to other security researchers to prove his claim. These are either all entirely consistent with what I would expect to see or have very simple explanations that do not require a sophisticated attacker. My guess is it's just a combination of stress and healthy paranoia this is the ever polite Tavis, yeah, yeah. causing you to connect unrelated events. Then a little bit later in his note, he said, regarding the Procmon logs, this is still Tavis, regarding the Procmon logs, one is noisy and the other is much quieter. But the noise is mostly consistent with just general usage. I can see... You were working on some documents, browsing Facebook, installing some sysinternals tools, and so on. Nothing suspicious there. Hopefully, you trust my opinion on font exploitation. I've published on the topic multiple times, was nominated for a Pony Award for some of my research, and have been credited in lots of Microsoft advisories on the topic. The behavior you described is not consistent with font exploitation, and the font files you published all look well-formed to me. If they're connected to any malware, it's just the regular kind and not an exploitation attempt. I get the impression you're not going to believe me. Please at least think about taking a break from this. Wow. And then he did a little smiley, smiley face. Smiley face, wow. And then Dan Gooden f- finishes saying, as every student in an intro to logic course learns, the absence of proof is not proof of absence. Right. I continue to agree with other security researchers when they say it's perfectly feasible for a determined attacker to develop malware as advanced as, quote, bad BIOS, which is what this thing became known as, and unleash it wittingly or otherwise on Ruyu's machines. At the same time, extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. 
And then in the midst of all this, because, I mean, I, I just, I let this sort of wash over me and I'm thinking, okay. I mean, and Leo, I know you and I have both received really over-the-top email over the years where well-meaning end users are convinced that for five years they have had a specific attacker who's been after them. I, right, I, I right. get email like that. And so it's like, okay, I've, you know, I've seen this kind of concern. But I posted on Saturday uh, a tweet that said, or I tweeted, bad BIOS reality check. And I said, this somewhat cranky analysis makes a lot of sense. And this is a guy with a lot of experience with BIOSes. And, he's, and so just quoting a little a small piece of this, he said, look, I'm not known for pulling punches and I'm not about to start now. The fact is that everything I have read about bad BIOS is completely and utterly wrong <laughs> from, the, from the supposed escaping air gap to, well, everything. And I should know. I've dealt with malicious BIOS and firmware loads in the past. I've also dealt with BIOS development and modification for two decades. It's a very important skill to have when you regularly build systems that are well outside manufacturer-recommended areas. The whole of the analysis would be laughable if people weren't actually taking it seriously and believing it because they've seen edge cases or very specific examples. And the result is that they're looking at in the wrong place. First and foremost, the very idea that there is some malicious BIOS load that can escape air gapping and is portable is beyond laughable. I don't care what you think you know. BIOS code is not portable, period. Oh, sure. You could have a common source for multiple motherboards, but every single model revision and minor revision requires you to recompile UEFI elements in the best case. That's before you get into changes to UEFI libraries and shells. Secondly, the concept that BIOS malware could somehow escape detection is, again, beyond laughable. Look, I've been doing BIOS work for ages and then some. I can and would spot any malicious load pretty quickly, much, pretty much instantly, even before flashing a board. Certainly, I would have no trouble finding it from a ROM dump, period. So... Yeah, anyway. I mean, there's not a lot of code in BIOS. And, of course, it's always written specifically to the machine. The point of BIOS is it's low-level. Is it, It's assembly language, I would presume, right? Code? Yeah, it, it yeah. is. Well, some of it's actually it been be written. C. Yeah. It's been in fourth. Fourth is, is, is often used <clears throat> for, for BIOS because it's so compact. Right. Uh, and, and it allows them to quickly port it. You know, it, it gives them some, some processor independence because they can, they can write a little fourth interpreter if it doesn't right. already exist. They right. probably exist for do. every chip yeah. made. Yeah. You know, and, and then you, you have all this. But it's, it is not it, – it, it inherently, it never needs to move. So it's not position-independent code. It is position-locked. 
And that among that more than anything else means it just can't jump into a different motherboard. I mean, it, it can't. Right. So because of where so it loads, you know, some yeah. maybe Dragos is misinterpreting what he's seeing. Uh, again, as you say, he's not a loon. So how you know? And this thing's been bothering him for three years. So that's the thing wow. that bothers me. <laughs> yeah. It took three years. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. As our hit parade continues, we have new customer service options offered by CryptoLocker. <laughs> this is the uh, the malware we spent a lot of time uh, last couple uh, of weeks mentioning and talking about. We we covered it extensively yeah. last week. I saw a lot of people appreciating the fact that we explained how it works, why they did crypto right unfortunately, and why somebody who has been gotten by this is in trouble. Well, now the AV companies are catching up, and that's sort of the bad news because, for example, Microsoft will happily remove it from your machine. Unfortunately, that may not be what you want if you're willing to pay $300. Now, I am seeing everyone's advice out there saying, oh, no, no, don't pay the ransom because that encourages them. Well, okay, but if you don't have a backup, I mean, it's very easy for those advice givers to give that advice. But, it, you know, in the real world, if you don't have a backup and you desperately need all the things that it just encrypted, $300 doesn't sound like such a problem. Yeah. So now we've got some evidence that it may be in later incantations or incarnations Deleting value, volume shadow copies because it wasn't initially. And so if you had so-called well, a volume shadow copy is the technical term for Microsoft's rollback technology in Windows. It allows you to, you know, go back to a previous version if something you've done has hurt your machine. So the, that was the advice. Of course, any advice that appears on the Internet, these guys are also seeing. And so that's why... Long term, I'm very concerned that this is going to be difficult for us to deal with. However, if if the worst happens and you eradicate the registry key, which apparently is the like the the key for your being able to decrypt your stuff, and or remove if you remove the 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 whole virus. You can you have been able to download it again. It's something called it's ridiculous. It's zero eight eight three dot exe or something that has been available. So you could reinfect your machine in order to then go through the decryption process to get your files back. So the problem is three days might pass, and then as we know, you have a seventy two hour window. In which case, after that, you're hosed. Ah, but we now have the new high-priced service being offered through the Tor hidden services system. So this is a service hidden by the Tor network, and we've talked about how Tor hidden services work, where for 10 bitcoins at the current going price, whatever that happens to be, currently a bitcoin is, is about $210, so ten of these two sixty just went up. Ooh boy! Is that a record high? Or not record? I'm but it's liking, very, I'm liking yeah. my fifty bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, baby. Um, yeah. So, so yes, now we're at twenty six hundred dollars. 
you would have to pay them to get your files back. The good news is there's no time limit on this. So if you are in a position where this is your only recourse, you have no backup, the stuff you need is worth whatever the current price is for 10 bitcoins, as, and as Leo said, currently $2,600, you can go to this Tor hidden service and you give it one of your encrypted files. Apparently, this the encryptor puts a header on the encrypted file that allows to it to perform a search for your public key. It'll so it puts the, the like a it's a ten twenty four bit header is what I saw. So it that it, that would allow it to find your public key. Then it says ah found it. So we can decrypt your files. Download the handy dandy decryptor from this link and pay us. 10 bitcoins. Um, they then wait for the, the Bitcoin network to verify the transaction. They wait, they, they say, from 10 to 15 confirmations um, out in the network. And then they will provide you with the matching private key in order to perform your decryption. Oh, and if the three days have not expired, that is, if you want to use the service... <laughs> Within the 72 hours, because you did something came along and, and, you know, removed this before you were able to to pay them, then in in an update uh, on Monday, they made a change such that within the first 72 hours, you only have to pay the two Bitcoin (laughs) price, which now would be, what, 512 or no – yeah, five hundred twenty. Uh, so said it was two sixty. Yeah, yeah, five. Yeah, five hundred twenty dollars. Kind of amazing. So that's yeah. certainly better. So you can use the service, the service within three days and pay the reduced price. Or if you wait past 70, 72 hours, then you're going to have to pay uh, twenty six hundred dollars at the current. Uh, at least they price. save it because you know sometimes you're out of town and you you know you don't get to see it. And I think that's just yeah. fabulous. Yeah. 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 So for <laughs> frequent travel, we we have a uh, service. Now, in an interesting sort of related post, it turns out that users of the OpenDNS umbrella service are safe from this. Because when you think about it, this is all based on DNS. It turns out, and I'll just just quote from their blog, they they said, the, the umbrella service said first, a quick recap of how OpenDNS provides protection against CryptoLocker. In a previous post, we introduced a predictive algorithmic method called the ripple effect for detecting CryptoLocker command and control domains. And remember, we've talked about how they're just a bunch of gibberish. It's a long crypto-looking thing, dot something, are you, dot, you know, NZ dot whatever. It's in a bunch of top level domains, but then just gibberish looking. And the bad guys only need to register one of the many that are generated. And the crypto locker infection on the user's machine uses the current date in order to generate a large list of candidate domains. 
and it doesn't know which one is valid, but the bad guys know. But we, what we do know is that one among them will be valid. So the virus starts doing DNS lookups in, a, in very short order of this random gibberish. Oh, and these are 12 through 15 characters long. So when you think about it, a smart DNS server could see your computer beginning to do this and say, whoa, hold on. Awesome. And it does. Now, that's their umbrella service. What is there? It's a business security. So you have to. Yes. That's a paid service. It's not for. Yes. Because I use OpenDNS, of course. But uh, it's. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's not available to OpenDNS users. Uh, And it's not cheap. But umbrella is designed to, to protect you against malware and botnets. So this is good. Yeah. Yeah. So it says the method uses the fact that the malware contacts a set of randomly generated domains to fetch an asymmetric crypto key before it starts encrypting the data files on the victim system. So this blocks it after infection, but prior to encryption, which is perfect. Um, And it says the ripple effect method relies on the co-occurring pattern of the domain requests made consecutively by the malware within a short time window. And then they said a number of users of our free DNS service were infected with the malware, meaning that OpenDNS itself doesn't provide this protection. But OpenDNS customers using Umbrella are protected against losing their valuable data to CryptoLocker because we successfully cut off the outbound communication initiated by the malware for retrieving the encryption key. That is, if the client can't reach the command and control server, it can't get the key. OpenDNS customers are spared the data loss and gain time to remove the malware before it can cause damage. If you're an Umbrella user... You can check for evidence of CryptoLocker in the dashboard, which is their UI to the to the the uh, the client, you know, the, the 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 user side of this. On the security activity report, filter by security category botnet. There is a very good chance if you were infected by CryptoLocker, you will see a long list of botnet domains displaying the following patterns. 12, 13, 14, or 15 character, random characters, top-level domains rotating among .info, .com, .ru, .biz, and .co.uk. And then frequent requests made in very short intervals to about 1,000 unique domains following the above string patterns. So 1,000. Now, I wouldn't, if I were them, crow too much because it would be easy to modify CryptoLocker slightly to bypass this. Right? Somebody in the chat room said, yeah, just encrypt with a weak uh, encryption and and then send the key out. Or, I mean... Ah, good point. You could do a... You you, you could very... You could... could, Good point. You could could easily generate locally your own symmetric key so you use local entropy on the machine to generate a very strong symmetric key hold that while you're waiting to share it with with command central and 
encrypt all the files using that. Right. So yes, you could absolutely do that. So don't get not, don't make too big a deal open DNS about this. You're just attracting attention. Yeah. How much you said but, it, you started saying it was expensive. How much is the service? Uh, it's like twenty nine per something per user. So I don't know. If it's thirty dollars a user per month, probably that makes sense. Wow, that's pricey. Maybe it's I mean, per year. Ouch. Yeah. Oh, it's per year per month. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, it's uh, if if you put an umbrella into Google or D- Open DNS umbrella, it'll take you there, and you can see that they have a big button you click to get pricing. Yeah. And it shows you like four different types of plans they have. That, but boy, they're not cheap. Seems like so. a, something we probably should do. Here, $33 oh, per yeah. user per year. That's, okay, not, that's bad. not that bad. No, yeah. it's nothing, in fact. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, 39 for the top-of-the-line protection. Um, okay. Uh, I was going to say so, real quickly, one thing that uh, if LastPass is listening, you might want to change in that nice, that kind of nice idea that you go into a lastpass.com slash Adobe to see if you've been hacked and you enter your email unfortunately lastpass then sends out an email to that address and i've received many many emails from lastpass as people test my address in the adobe cracked database so Oops. lastpass <laughs> probably might want to change that wonder why they're doing that that's really annoying well because they want to um you are receiving this email because you have you know because hi you're receiving this email because you you lose LastPass. Not me, but somebody used LastPass to confirm your Adobe account credentials were leaked and requested that your Adobe password hint be mailed to you. Actually, uh, maybe that's a check mark in that uh, in that page. Let's just go quickly and see. Uh, but yeah, they can't. It's really annoying. Oh, email the hint. Yeah, that's a good point. The hint is there with every yeah with every email but it address. Say it just says test. You know, put your email in and test my email. It doesn't say I didn't. Nobody uh, stop it. Last pass. <laughs> I liked you up to now. Uh, I've gotten a lot of these. I well, don't need more spam. Probably do have Leo with a, with your your email address being Leo at leoville dot com. Oh, come thanks on. for telling everybody that. <laughs> yeah, I know that's a secret. Uh, I guess the, the problem is you're you're receiving it from LastPass and they're whitelisted well, on they're your not anymore. Spam. I, I've just told Google this is spam. LastPass, yeah. little hint, you might not want to do that anymore. Hmm. So, to wrap up our our crypto locker update. Crypto Prevent, which is the very nice free or paid. You can pay for the auto-updating version if you would like auto-updates. And I would have paid off, by the way, because they've updated it now to we, – we were at 3.0, I think, last week. Now we're at 4.0. So additional features. The guy's continuing to hone it. You know, my concern is that this is – you know, it's not – strong protection it's certainly better than nothing so you know it's it it uses windows group policy system in order to block some of the behavior which crypto locker exhibits in terms of where it puts things to execute but all it has to do is put them somewhere else and it's why it's like eh, okay it's better than nothing but it also kind of messes things up in in your system and there has been problem with it with it blocking 
you know, doing a false positive block because other things are able to behave in the same way that CryptoLocker does. So it's like, eh, you know, okay. However, Sandboxy, our old friend Sandboxy, is effective in containing CryptoLocker. It's been verified that if you were to put your email client and your web browser in Sandboxy, if you were to Sandboxy those two things, and we've talked about, we did a podcast on Sandboxy. Anybody could like Google Sandboxy Security Now. I'm sure you'll find it. Or go to grc.com slash sn, and I've got a search field that I pay Google handsomely for, um, and put Sandboxy in, and you'll find the podcast where we explain it. What happens is, if you get a crypto locker infection through email or web browsing and you have employed Sandboxy, then a, an encrypted copy of your files are created in the Sandbox, but nothing gets out of the Sandbox. So your original files are all fine. And all you do is empty the Sandbox and CryptoLocker and all of its damage it tried to do is gone. So, nice, 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 nice. Yes. So that's that's a solution that makes sense. I like Sandboxy because it is lightweight. The heavyweight, the, the industrial strength solution is a virtual machine. You know, use, um, you know, I, I've, I've always owned uh, VMware, so I still have that. But, you know, the, the free VM, the one that, um, that Oracle offers, I can't think of what it's called. Uh, it's the one everybody uses because it's good and it's free. Uh, Oracle? Isn't it Oracle? Sun? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. One box. A virtual box. Virtual box. Virtual box. Virtual box. Not yes. Box. Virtual box is industrial strength. Many people have asked, well, you know, would that work? Absolutely. So, you know, you set up virtual box and do email and surfing there. And there you have total control over what drives are visible. And drive letters is what CryptoLocker ties to. Thus, thus network shares that are mapped to drive letters are, are what CryptoLocker is able to to follow in order to like encrypt people's you know shared network storage, which is <laughs> which will ruin your day. Um, so, uh, so the problem is that using a full VM takes up a chunk of memory out of your system. I mean, it's it's stronger protection, but if but just using Sandboxy is a is a very nice lightweight solution and we know now that it does it is effective in blocking crypto locker so yay to that now i'm sorry you're not happy with lastpass leo because <laughs> i'm mad world, at you lastpass the world is happy with lastpass <laughs> they came out with a big version 3.0 yeah I like version 3 yeah upgrade yes and many people do in fact i just googled i want to kind of get a sense for it so i just googled LastPass version 3.0, the first link that came up said it was a forum posting, and it read, Hi, I'm a recent LastPass user. After trying several alternatives, 1Password, Loco, Dashlane, and KeyPassX, I chose LastPass mostly because it offers the best feature set for a competitive price, a good trade-off of security versus flexibility, and... Steve Gibson can be mighty persuasive. <laughs> that must make <laughs> you happy. Said, That's great. But the one thing that really put me off was the poor user interface. And we're talking about the old version. LastPass hasn't been designed. It has been programmed. 
Now, frankly, never bothered me. That's what turned me on yeah, to it. Yeah, never bothered you know? me at all. Serious, serious technology. Joe has been completely open about how it works. That's why I've been able to talk about it. I still can't talk about BitTorrent Sync because they won't tell me how it works. Right. So I was like, well, okay. You know, it's got they're they're bragging about having a million users. It's like, okay. You know, I mean, it's probably safe, but we can't know, we don't know. until they'll, they'll they'll share it with yeah. us. Yeah. So anyway, this guy just goes on to say, basically, he loves the change that's been made to the aesthetics. You know, all kinds of things. The the the, the flow is better. The design is better. So this is a very nice, substantial usability and UI upgrade to LastPass, taking it to 3.0. And also there's a thing called family folders, which is a new feature that allows you know, members of a close-knit family group to, to share uh, in some fashion. I haven't looked at it closely because I, it's just me using LastPass. But, yeah, yeah bravo. <laughs> yeah, I no, nice I, I think they've done a really nice job. Uh, it's cleaned yep. up. It's beautiful. They probably hired uh, a designer. And... Yeah, which is good. Yeah. I'm, but I'm glad they did that first. The problem, for example, uh, with and I'm there was that messaging client. I wasn't Threema, although Threema just apparently added group messaging, which I haven't had a chance to look you know, at I yet. I just saw that news Threema this morning from my. Uh, so uh, people have sent. I've, first of all, I made a mistake giving out my <laughs> QR code because yeah. I was getting like thirty or forty messages an hour. But uh, but then, and maybe it's because I was getting so many messages. Threema just crashed my uh, Moto X, my Android phone, badly. Oh. Uh, forcing a reboot, and so I've removed it uh, because I can't. Anyway, there was one. It wasn't Threema, but all apparently they were like UI designers, and they they, they and I've talked about them several times. The, the name will come on me. Not but Hemless, was, not the Hemless. Guys. Hemless, yes, H E M dot H E M L dot I S. Hemless, gorgeous looking, very yeah. pretty, rainbow colors. Oh, and it's got just such a nice balanced looking UI. However. They're crypto. They're saying, well, we can't tell you how it works because then maybe it could be hacked. <laughs> it's like, That's a bad what? sign. Always what? a bad sign. Yeah. So LastPass just came out of the gate saying, look, this is what we do. And it's the reason I fell in love with it is that it's like, okay, yeah. that's correct. That's, and that's the you right way to do it. did everything right. Yeah, that's correct. Yes. Yeah. It's the only way to do it. And it's like the way I'm, you know, the way the Squirrel Project is going. Right. Uh, I have an update on that, by the way, because I scrapped the identity unlock that I had last week with one that I came up with Monday uh, that made it much better. But we'll get to that in a second. So, um, you know, bravo LastPass. BitTorrent Sync, as I mentioned, just had a big you, you know, Ballyhoo news that they have a million users. Um, they've also opened the developer API, but apparently you still use a closed, non-documented engine. Um, so the developer API lets third parties now create apps on top of the BitTorrent Sync protocol, which is closed, and which we know nothing about. And I'm sure lots of people will. And uh, I don't understand why they're not telling us how the protocol works because that's that's reason for concern, but right. they're not. So it's still closed protocol. Uh, no security analysis is possible of it. We just assume that it's a good thing. So, and a million people are apparently doing that now. It's free. And it's out of alpha. 
uh, and, you know, download it and, and go. We're going to uh, get to the uh, TrueCrypt audit in just a second. Also, how Google engineers respond to the NSA spying <laughs> with a yes, profanity. Yes, they use one of those passwords, the <laughs> FU password we were talking about. Uh, and an update on SQRL on Squirrel. Lots more to come in just a bit with Steve Gibson. But first, a word from our uh, sponsor, the great folks at ProXPN. You've heard Steve talk, I'm sure, before about open VPNs, the best way to protect yourself when you're on an open Wi-Fi access network or you're uh, in somewhere where uh, people could snoop on your traffic. And actually, that's pretty much everywhere if your Internet service provider has the inclination. That's why uh, open VPNs are great because they create an encrypted tunnel uh, between you and the outside world so that the people at the coffee shop can't sign in as your name on Facebook <laughs> can't get your email password, so your internet service provider can't monitor what you're doing. I like that. It really turns the internet into uh, into the thing it ought to be, which is anonymous and uh, unsupervised. ProXPN is a very nice, very good implementation of OpenVPN. Steve Gibson improved, approved. If you visit him at proxpn.com, you'll one of the things you'll like is that they are not based in the United States. Uh, in fact, that it gives you some advantage because you can get servers all over the world. Uh, London, Singapore, Amsterdam, of course, New York, Dallas, Seattle, Los Angeles as well. They use a 512-bit encryption tunnel with a 2048-bit key. They do it all right. Steve's vetted them. Steve's checked them. And uh, you can try them right now. Of course, they've always had free accounts. The pro account, a little more sophisticated, gives you a little bit more control and is a lot faster. And you can get that. For a very affordable price, normally $10 a month, $75 when you buy it a year at a time. We have a special offer. If you use the code SN20, you get 20% off for the lifetime. Not the first month, not the first year, the lifetime of your account. That means ProXPN is less than 5 bucks a month when you get the yearly plan. And, of course, if you're not cancel, uh, satisfied, cancel easily anytime within seven days for a full refund. They do support PPTP, but you're, of course best off using OpenVPN. And now, with their Android and iOS software, you can use OpenVPN on the mobile platforms as well, which is fabulous. They've got apps for uh, iOS and Android available in the app stores there. Uh, you can bypass geographic restrictions, means you can be surfing the web really, in effect, from London or Singapore or any Amsterdam, anywhere in the world. They have software for Windows and Mac offering advanced controls. That means you can select the programs and ports you want to anonymously route through their servers. Um, and I just think their world-class customer support makes them a great choice for your VPN protection. It's proxpn.com slash twit to learn more. proxpn.com slash twit. Or... Use the offer code, or I should say and, use the offer code uh, SN20, and you'll get 20% off for the lifetime of your account. The basic account is free, but they have a premium account, too, which I recommend. But if you want to just try the basic account for a while and just see how it works, you can check it out. ProXPN.com slash twit. Leo Laporte with no. Steve Gibson. Yes, I was going to say, you know, password lists are just fascinating. Oh, you're They're, reading like, that like Sophos a, list? Yeah. It's just wonderful. Yeah. I, I did tweet, for anyone who's interested, uh, the uh, a link to the nice list of passwords. It's uh, it's just wonderful. I don't know what it is about it. It's sort of like 
you get to sort of reverse engineer what people are thinking. Like there's one Q, two W, three E, four R, which of course comes right off the keyboard, and you have to think, ooh, nobody was gonna is gonna come up with that one. And twenty two thousand people uh, did one Q, the same two thing. W, three E, four yeah. R. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's just sort of we got Hannah and Ginger. Yeah, and may, yeah. Just Again, I'm Liverpool. sure that's not their name because that would be too easy. It's their kids' names or their dogs' names. In fact, some of the some of the clues are my dog's name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love the hints. The hints are as much fun, frankly, as the passwords. Oh God, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> okay, so the good news is a piece of software that we hear on the podcast love. Yes, TrueCrypt. Uh huh. Has easily made its audit money goal. Oh, that's such good news. And I, I'm annoyed that they're over on Indiegogo because I don't have an account there. But I'm going to have to set one up just so I can pay them the money and get the T-shirt because I need the I need the True Crypt T-shirt. Then you get stickers and all kinds of other stuff. They wanted to raise twenty five thousand dollars, which I think is a very reasonable number, unlike what Ladar wants. But we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, $25,000 to do the audit, and they're at 35264 last I looked a few hours ago. So an additional 10000 over their goals. And, of course, this is Matthew Green, a world-renowned cryptographer who said, you know— He doesn't work for TrueCrypt, we should mention, right? He does not work for TrueCrypt. This is an independent audit. Or does matter? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah. No, no, completely. No, no. This isn't. <laughs> no, he, is, yeah. he's with University of something. Right. I think in Chicago, maybe. Right. Um, I don't remember exactly where, but yeah, this is absolutely independent. The goal is that they're going to they're going to take the source and they're going to verify that they get binary identical builds by having lots of separate people create it. So the idea will be we're going to, a re, we can get a reproducible binary image from the source, and then they're going to do an, an, a complete, careful read, little, you know, really crypto smart people reading this line by line, was everything done right? Is there anything uh, wrong in here? Anything hinky? Anything that doesn't look like, you know, we understand why it's there? And, I mean, it'll just give us all a neat, warm fuzzy. And then we'll lock that down, and that will be the source that for, for TrueCrypt. And, uh, and we'll, I mean, I, I think it'll tremendously increase its value. I mean, I, I use it now because I'm it's like, it's sure better than no crypt. Um, but it'll be nice to know that, they, that there is nothing, you know, that, got, that, that crept in. I mean, one of the things we've learned, unfortunately, from Snowden is there has been an infinite budget and infinite will to to get everywhere possible in security. It certainly is not beyond the pale to imagine that the NSA may have had some influence. So we just need to know that that isn't there. Speaking of the NSA, yesterday, Google engineer Mike Hearn weighed in on... Google and the NSA. Um, 
He, in his Google Plus posting, quoted another colleague uh, in the security team, Brandon Downey. And he said, he said, recently, Brandon Downey, a colleague of mine on the Google security team, said, after the usual disclaimers about being personal opinions and not speaking for the firm, which I re- re- firm, he said, which I repeat here, and I can't say what what uh, Brandon said, but, you know, F these guys, <laughs> meaning the NSA. I mean, you, this gives us they a were window. Pissed. Yes, the reason this is interesting to me is this really gives us a window into Google's re- feelings about this. Yeah. And so then Mike says, now, uh, this is yesterday, now I join him in issuing a giant FY to the people who made these slides, referring to the NSA slides. I am not American. I'm a Brit. But it's no different. GCHQ turns out to be even worse than the NSA. Yeah. We designed this system to keep criminals out. There's no ambiguity here. The warrant system with skeptical judges, paths for appeal, and rules of evidence was built from centuries of hard-won experience. When it works, it represents as good a balance as we've got between the need to restrain the state and the need to keep crime in check. Bypassing that system is illegal for a good reason. Unfortunately, we live in a world where all too often laws are for the little people. Nobody at GCHQ or the NSA will ever stand before a judge and answer for this industrial-scale subversion of the judicial process. In the absence of working law enforcement, we therefore do what Internet engineers have always done, build more secure software. The traffic shown in the slides below is now all encrypted, and the work the NSA slash GCHQ staff did on understanding it, ruined. Thank you, Edward Snowden. For me personally, this is the most interesting revelation all summer. Yeah, yeah. We said then, that when uh, when we talked about that slide with the <laughs> smiley face on the post-it note. Here's where we get all this stuff. Uh, we said that uh, they had showed it to somebody at Google who, who like, was like, that's outrageous. Was it Eric Schmidt? I think it might have been Eric Schmidt. He, so I'm really starting, between these two posts and Eric Schmidt, starting to think Google really doesn't know anything about this, and they're miffed. Well, and then in response to Mike's posting, we learned something else. I did, which I thought was very interesting. Jeff Weiss was the first person to respond, saying, until this article, no one had mentioned that the intercepted traffic was on leased mm. fiber, mm. not on the public Internet. Mm-hmm. That makes the clear text transmission seem like a less glaring error. I suppose I can see how it wouldn't seem necessary. In fact, anyone claiming it was necessary probably would have been seen as paranoid until now. Still, Jeff writes, 
Encrypting data sent over the wire is not difficult. Considering the value of the data in question and the number of parties who could access it, at least two, the fiber owners and the government, it seems like a worthwhile investment. Lesson learned, I suppose. And then Mike replied, the original poster who I first quoted, Mike replied, I think the fact that Google uses private fiber has been well known for quite a while, actually. Just search for, and he says, Google dark fiber. And you'll find many news stories discussing that. And it was mentioned offhand in previous stories as well, I think. Yes, that's pretty much it. Encryption was being worked on prior to Snowden, but it didn't seem like a high priority because there was no evidence it would achieve anything useful and it cost a lot of resources. Once it became clear how badly compromised the fiber paths were, there was a crash effort to encrypt everything. And then he finally says, RE, not difficult. I disagree. Doing end-to-end, meaning encryption, end-to-end encryption, which is, you know, as we know, the gold standard. That's all that matters. Doing end-to-end, which is why, for example, PGP works for email, but nothing else does. Doing end-to-end on the scale of Google is a lot harder than it looks. Ignoring CPU capacity constraints, the entire thing requires a large and complex key distribution and management infrastructure, he says, parens, fortunately already present. Also, lots of different protocols flow over our wires, each one of which has to be handled. So, there was a lot here that I thought was interesting. As you said, Leo, we get a real we get a look finally into Google's authentic feelings about this and the fact that this they were they were buying essentially leasing their own fiber. So this was not going out on routers across the internet. This was this was, you know, we, we we've talked about how the internet is packet switched and the brilliance of it was that you could just send little packets off into sort of nowhere and they would with an address just carrying a destination address and they would get there sort of like you know writing an address on an envelope and dropping it into any mailbox and it finds its way to its destination that's how the internet works whereas before that we used to have dial-up lines where you know your you and your modem called CompuServe and their modem, and your phone was tied up and no one could call you, that you got a busy signal if, if you tried while you were using CompuServe or the source or AOL in the old days. So these are like that. This is Google purchasing dedicated, you know, their own, they have all of the bandwidth of this optical connection where they they blink lights in one end and it blinks out the other, essentially, between their data centers. So they had every reason to believe this was absolutely private. The government tapped that. Mm. And, that's why, and that's why they tapped it, of course, because uh, it's yeah. likely unencrypted. It is now. Well, Leo, because it was there. Yeah. They tapped it because it was there. And, and 
I wanted to wrap this this segment up by just saying in the NSA's defense, we got what we asked for. That is, it really was the case that that in, in the U.S. at least, Congress said, protect us at, from anything like 9-11 again at any cost. Get full information. Do whatever you need to do. So... Now the good news is, as a consequence of Snowden's revelation and all of the backlash, we understand what we unleashed. And so now that it looks like there will be some dialing back of that. It's like, oh, now we know what happens if we say do anything you want and you have as much money as you need. Well, I mean, that's what the people in the crypto palace want is carte blanche. And we gave it to them. And they tapped everything. So now it's like, whoa, okay. Uh, except maybe not Angela's phone anymore because that really annoyed her. Angela Merkel, uh, Chancellor of yes. Germany. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe they stopped or maybe they just made it a little bit more secretive. I don't know. Uh, I know. So anyway, this this has been good. I, I, oh, yeah. This again. Is, this is... Anybody who thinks that what Edward Snowden did is somehow uh, unpatriotic doesn't, I think, is missing the nope. point. I think and that was our that was our first reaction upon yeah, hearing it. Yeah. And, and you know, the first moment this came out, I watched that video that was made of him in the hotel room, and I thought, okay, this guy knows what he's talking yeah. about. Boy, the more we see, the more. The, my only complaint is that it seems that they're dribbling it out uh, with an aim to maximizing uh, profit. Um. As opposed to, I, I, I think it maximizes that, but also because, attention. It maximizes yes, attention. So yes, I think this is brilliant yeah. because if it was just a big blob that much. they dropped, yeah. it, it would be overwhelming. Yeah. Yes, this is like it's like oh god, you know, you wake up on a Monday morning and the NSA has to be thinking, what now? You know what? What? Because they know what hasn't been revealed yet, and they have to be thinking now. He got it all. So it's just a matter of time. Hey, speaking of spam, can I apologize? And did you get an email from me asking you to join Twitter? I apologize. Oh, I, I did actually. Yeah, I got two. Okay, yeah. And I and I. Yeah, if I, I have, re- just ignore oh, it. If I have several uh, uh, addresses on on file in my contact list for anybody, you got one for each address. Doctor Mom got six invitations from me, and let me just ah. show you. I think it's Twitter's fault. Well, it's my fault, but I, but let me just show you because I was signing up for uh, uh, I was signing up with my Twitter on my new Nexus Five, and this is how it happened. You're now on Twitter. Follow your friends. Now I should have just said skip, but I thought, oh no, 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 that's good. I'd like to follow. Yeah, you can have access to my contact list, and this is where my troubles began. Uh, uh, f- follow your friends. I'll follow them all. Uh, yeah, I actually I think I did follow them all. Okay, now invite friends. Uh, the default on the phone is a little different. This is an, this is on iPhone. On Android, it's defaulted to select all. If I press this right arrow, and it's this is the default. Tell me how you get out of this because if I press this right arrow, all of the contacts in my address book, each address in my address book will get an invitation from Twitter. Every one of them. And it was just, uh, I mean, admittedly, I should have paid more attention when I was signing up. But there was no, are you sure you want to email everybody in your address book or anything like that? It just mm-hmm. did it. And uh, so I apologize. My mom sent me a text today saying, 
well, I joined Twitter like you asked me. <laughs> I was like, no, no, Mom, don't, don't join uh, Twitter. We will securely upload. Oh, I'm glad it's secure that they've uploaded my contact list to Twitter. Follow uh, friends. Okay, done on that one. Invite. And Twitter's never made a mistake with their security. So, yeah. so here's the here's the one that uh, this is the one that happens on the uh, on the Android phone. It's by default all are selected. If I tap done, uh, an invitation Ooh. will go out. Wow. <sighs> yeah. Well, too easy. Yeah, and I accidentally typed done. Like I'm done. I don't want you to invite everybody. And instead, it said, "Oh, you're done. We're going to invite everybody." So I apologize to all the people who received emails. And, and the headline of my next topic I don't really want you to is, join Twitter, by the way. <laughs> Stop. The, he the headline of my next topic is, it's not a bug, it's a feature. Yeah, that's exactly uh -huh. right. Yeah. So go ahead. Uh, so take, that was take Google's away. response yeah. uh, last August when the blogger, uh, remember when we talked about this on the podcast, declared that Chrome was flawed because it wasn't masking the passwords that Chrome was saving, your, your website passwords that Chrome was saving for you. And I defended Google saying, it's not a flaw. Look at it. It's the way they designed it. Now, we could complain about the design, but calling it a, a flaw, the way this was phrased made it sound like it was a defect. No, it was by design. So Google said it's not a bug, it's a feature. And then they've said, well, okay, well, maybe we can do better. So what they're doing is they're giving us what users, security-conscious users, have apparently asked for. For example, Safari on the Mac reprompts for the machine's standard login password if you want to display your web browser passwords, which seems reasonable. Firefox, as we know, by default allows you to set a master password to a sort of a master password password to to protect the, the viewing of and access to your passwords. And so Google said, you know, their original position was, well, we just feel that that gives users a false sense of security. We don't want to do that. Because if anyone has physical access to their machine, well, that means there's no security. And many people responded saying, wait a minute. But, and I've actually, someone said, well, what about my crackhead brother? It's like, okay, well, that's a little disturbing. But yes, you know, we could understand that maybe you'd want to keep him from logging into your websites. So um, in the, what's called the, Canary version of Chrome for OS X on the Mac, which is the not yet released into the mainstream. Um, it's been it's been noticed that Chrome has added the feature, which, as with Safari, will reprompt you for your your Mac platform, your Mac OS X master password, if you want to view your passwords in Chrome. So congratulations. I yeah. think that's that's a good thing. Not we haven't seen it cross platform. No, you will. On, Canary is the, the uh, so Canary is basically alpha. There's a beta channel, there's Chrome, right. Chrome beta and then there's Chrome Canary which is an alpha channel. But that means right. it will be migrating up, I'm sure unless there's some and problem with it. It ought to. Yeah. Oh, yeah it yeah. ought to. 
It's like, you know, it's a good thing. Many people asked about a new app that appeared in the, in the uh, iTunes store just yesterday called Knock. <laughs> yeah, I thought this was interesting. Yeah. Um, and and so I spent enough time with it to to familiarize myself with it, look at the security model, and then I tweeted, yep, they did everything right. So here's what the deal is. Um, it's from some guys from Square, so they understand security and UI and things. <coughs> and so they, they said, okay, how can we improve the user login experience? Their first version had a, an automatic login to your Mac OS when you approached your machine with your phone in your pocket. And that was a little unnerving to users. They said, you know, it just sort of has a mind of its own. And what if I'm just sitting down at Starbucks with a fresh cup of coffee? I don't want to unlock my laptop right now. Well, it just unlocked for me. So back off. And they've been playing with this with, with about 100 testers, I guess, for like six months. And so they said, okay, how about if you have to go knock-knock on your phone? They take advantage of the inertial sensor in the phone and make knocking twice on the phone in your pocket be the key to unlocking your laptop. So um, be very careful because it's not free that you have the required compatible equipment. You need basically what this is, is it takes advantage of the Bluetooth 4 or the so-called LE, the low-energy version of Bluetooth, um, that has a <coughs> excuse me reduced range, which is fine for unlocking your Mac. Also, a reduced bandwidth and data rate. It also, though, has a reduced latency, whereas regular Bluetooth takes about half, or I'm sorry, about a tenth of a second to negotiate. This negotiates in six milliseconds. So it's very suitable for quick little bursts of information. Like here is um, the and and a privately encrypted key. And when I said they did this right, what they did is they used twenty forty eight bit standard RSA public key asymmetric encryption. They encrypt the password using your private key on the phone. So there's no way for an attacker who gets your phone or tries to, you know, take it apart or do anything to get anything useful, they send that when you have a, a connection to your laptop and when you have tapped twice on your phone, they send it over this Bluetooth low-energy connection to the companion app, which is free. I should, I should mention the, the iTunes app is 4 bucks, 3 dollars and it has your your Mac has your public key. Does it not have the password there? Just the public key. So again, it can't do anything because it doesn't have anything that it can use until it receives the private key encrypted password. Then it's able to decrypt it, use it, and unlock your machine. So, so you do need an uh, an iPhone 4s and later, an iPad 3 or later an iPod Touch 5 or later. The Mini has always had Bluetooth low energy, and iOS 5 
as the operating platform and later. And Macs are a little confusing. A 2011 MacBook Air or newer, a 2012 MacBook Pro or newer, a 2012 iMac or newer, a 2011 Mac Mini or newer, or a 2013 Mac Pro. Um, they spell this out over on iTunes under compatibility. Make sure you don't waste four dollars. Uh, a couple of people apparently have. They've been unhappy they, as they commented <laughs> in the iTunes store. No refunds were, uh, on the uh, on the App Store. That's uh, right. Yeah, you, know, you bought it, you paid for it. Yeah. So anyway, so for people who are wondering, yes, it looks like they got the security right, and uh, they say they're going to do more things. They're not. They're not Apple only. They're going to address Android when they can. But the Android market is more fragmented. There isn't the same uniformity of API. So it's it's a bigger challenge for them. But you know, kind of a cool idea. <coughs> kind of well, a cool idea. The cool idea is Bluetooth LE. That's really the yes. cool idea. And there's so many things uh, we're going to see with that. Uh, yes, I, I just I'm really excited is, about it. Yeah, the energy is so low that a single single cell coin battery can run more than a year. Right. So you know, so people are putting really, beacons in. Uh, we could put a beacon in the brick house, for instance, that your phone would sense and would automatically pull you to a informational website. There's uh, or check you in or whatever. There's and people also, have like plastic tags they're selling. You can put tags on things, and yeah. you're able to you know never know lose where they your are. luggage. Uh, you know, I mean, just yeah. it goes on and on and on. The, the this is Apple's going to push this heavily because uh, this is, I think, their re their response to NFC. To NFC, yeah, exactly. They like this better. And I think given the security you just described, it, uh, maybe it is better than NFC. Um, they, I think that, yeah, you know, this is all the, you know, the Fitbit, uh, Flex uses it. A lot of the health bands are going to start using that. Right. Um, it's just a natural. So, Ladar Levison wants to raise, and I don't know where this number came from, $196,608 is his goal. One nine, almost just shy of $200,000. So that's a chunk of money. Uh, it's on Kickstarter, on uh, LavaBits Dark Mail Initiative. And he said, the description there says, the goal is to clean up and release the source code that was used to power LavaBit as a... And he says, you know, F slash OSS, so an open source project with support for dark mail added. Um, the problem is I can find no documentation for dark mail. And as far as I know, it doesn't exist yet. I mean, it's an idea. It's gotten a lot of press because, of course, this is the guys at Silent Circle are are teamed up with Ladar on this. Um He's got a ways to go, uh, but actually he's doing pretty well so far. He's got 1,082 backers when I looked this morning. He'd raised nearly 50000 pledged out of his $200,000 goal with 21 days to go. So he that's says, the positive. He said on the interview with us, he didn't say details, but what, he, what they want to do is write a new mail server, not, not SMTP, but write a new mail server that has PGP encryption built in. So he understands, I think he understood the issue, I know he understood the issue of there's no, you know, there's no such thing as secure email because SMTP servers, while they have encryption, don't generally use it. So what they've said, I believe, is that they're going to use XMPP as the protocol, which does support, uh, can support encrypted uh, communications, and then they're going to have 
GPG or PGP baked into both the clients and the server so that it uses it by, yeah. by default. XMPP could support uh, 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 oh, I, I, I'm, I'm saying OTP, but that's not what I mean. Um, perfect, they, uh, perfect forward secrecy? No, um, there's the real By the way, time, they say they want to implement that as well. Th- oh, yeah, they absolutely should. Yeah. Um, OTR, off the record. Oh, yeah, OTR, yeah, yeah, yeah. So XMPP, because it is real-time connection, could support off-the-record point-to-point encryption to get you to the server. And then at that point, uh, you could use PGP there. But then, of course, you've got to trust the server. Well, I think um, I would hope they don't want to do that. Than, yeah, I, I want to trust the client. I want to trust no one. Yeah, exactly. Well, is that what MailPile is? Are you going to talk about MailPile? Um, not this week, but Moxie Marlin Spike, who you know really does know his security, uh, did a posting where he was rather disappointed with this plan. Um, he didn't he didn't feature the idea that they were going to go a lot further, but he was responding to the idea of raising all this money to clean up the source code of something which never was secure. I mean. Moxie was assuming they were that Ladar was only going to do what LavaBit did, and so I, I, I created a Bitly link called LavaNot, bit.ly/lavanot, all lowercase. If anyone's curious, because Moxie did do a nice job of breaking down, you know, why I was never impressed with LavaBit when I went to look. You know, as soon as we heard that Edward Snowden had been using LavaBit, I ran over and looked <laughs> and was like, okay, well, this is nothing. You know, right. you this told me that. I subscribed for a year and you said, well, <laughs> sorry, Leo, but your money yeah. was wasted. Yeah. But, you know, so, I used to use Hushmail in the day, which was Phil Zimmerman, PGP guys, PGP webmail. Same thing, right? Same problem. Well, I think. I don't know. I mean, if, you know, Moxie uh, mail, made a Basically, the point saying, is, well, go ahead. Yeah, Moxie made a point of saying that web mail cannot be secure, and that's not true. I mean, with with today's browsers, you really can have very good web browser-based client-side security that encrypts everything on its way to the server. Now, the problem is the infrastructure. You know, email itself resists encryption. At every stage. Because, for example, it wants, it's inherently a store and forward right, system. Right. You don't, so, you know, so you, you don't have a real-time point-to-point connection where, for example, you could use secure key negotiation to negotiate an ephemeral key on the fly. And then you both use that to, to exchange things. You know, I mean, we, all that technology exists. But the problem is email bounces from one server to the next sort of, going towards its destination <coughs> excuse me got a little bit of a tickle in my throat here <coughs> toward the end of our podcast um and so it it's it's difficult <coughs> wow um it's difficult to encrypt and it's resisting encryption right that's the point and that's why they want to re- write a replacement for smtp that would, uh, you know, by default, in fact, require 
point-to-point encryption. SMTP can do it, but very rarely do people do that. Yeah, and I, that's, I don't now know. Now I remember with Hushmail, they were clear about that. They said if you mail something from Hushmail to somebody else, you know, all bets are off. But if you email somebody ah, within the Hushmail within system, the system, you're yes. okay. So that was a good way to do it, I think. And that, yep. that, was that absolutely makes sense. Yeah. And, and that was my problem with LavaSoft is the moment the, – I mean LavaBit, sorry. The moment the email leaves and is connecting to another server, well, it's decrypted. And the NSA says thank you very much. And this was, of course, the same thing with them sitting outside of Google uh, when when they were able to do that. As long as something stayed at Google – I remember we were talking about how Petraeus was clever. He used – a folder in Gmail <laughs> right, right. to exchange information with his illicit lover. His girlfriend. But um, that makes sense, and that would work had he not then given his keys to some, you know, his password to somebody. Yeah. You know, but if yeah. you don't, but that that would work, right? That system would work. Yes. Well, yeah. And that's what I'm wondering if Ladar, remember Ladar, what Ladar told us on the interview on Triangulations a couple of weeks back, and you should listen to it. Uh, no, I'm not talking to you, Steve, but everybody else should listen to it. Um, what he what he said was um, that the feds wanted the SSL keys, just as you had surmised, which meant that then all the mail in the you know would be readable, It'd be in the they'd be able to look at it in the clear right. all the time. And I presume that would also include mail stored in a drafts folder. Yeah, his 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 mail at rest was encrypted. When and Moxie explains this when when email came in, the system looked up the users. The, the the system only had the user's public key, so it used the public key to to irrevocably encrypt or irreversibly encrypt the email, which then was stored on the server. They did then did not have the ability to decrypt it. The problem is when the user logged in with their plain text password to Ladar's server, it then used that to decrypt the user's private key, which it then used to decrypt the stored email and sent it to them in the clear. So it really did nothing. So it's like, okay... I mean, had nothing yeah. been sent though, had it been stored in the drafts folder, it'd be secure because it was encrypted. Unless the FBI says to Marley, correct, to, uh, it was encrypted Ladar, at rest. Give me yes. the keys, and one presumes that's what they were asking for. Well, and it's true that Ladar did not have the keys. That was the key. Ah, but by by using asymmetric encryption, he was able to encrypt. Got it. Got it. Got it. Right. Securely, he could not decrypt until the moment. That the customer asked for his email. Right. And then he did decrypt it. So, so that's like, why they need okay. the SSL keys because he doesn't have the keys for the stuff saved there. But if you have the SSL keys, can you then intercept the well, All the mail coming and going, yes. But could you read the drafts folder too? I mean, doesn't that get fed into my browser? Or maybe not. I don't know. I don't well, okay, but 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 Lodar didn't have a web-based email system. He, oh, he had didn't. a regular. Oh. No, well, yeah, this it wasn't then, web-based. Then it's moved. It was. It was you exactly. You yeah. you your client connects to got his it, server, got it, got it, got it. and off it goes. Got it. Yeah, but it would be so, secure for Gmail to do that, unless you gave them your password. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm not I'm asking I mean, I, completely academically, you understand? I just <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> yes. Um, and, you know, G, Gmail supports secure, secure SMTP and POP and, and, you know, client and web. I mean, you know, Google really is coming up to speed and has been a leader in, in encrypting these things. And I think now we have a, a, a sense for a snapshot in, into how they feel about the fact that, you know, their encryption has been so badly yeah. dinged. Yeah. Um, and that's really all I have to talk about. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> I do have some more things, but we'll do it next week. We'll save those. Yeah. We'll save those. Very nice. Yeah. Oh, come on. Ender's Game. Just one loved little it. thing. Yeah. Loved I it. think if you read the book, you loved it no matter what. Because it, it it really was fairly true to the book with one minor exception. And um... the problem I had was that, as always, I mean, this is true of anyone who's read a book and then seen the movie. Is the book was so much richer? Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, but it has to I be. Almost it has felt, hours. I almost wondered. I was all almost wondered why we were even introduced to Peter. You know, I mean, yeah. Peter played I, a for the sequel. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Good point. Peter played a significant role in the first book, and he we had him in one scene where he was just mean, and it was like, okay. No, but and they I, kept referring and, and, back to that. They said the reason true. Ender knows how to fight back is because he had a bully brother. True, and Peter was washed out of the program because was he was vicious. right. Yes, he was. Right. Well, he had, he lacked the empathy, right. which and it was Ender's empathy, which uh, you know made him a better commander. Because how many times did we hear that you know when you in, when you really really know your enemy, then that is to love them. Right. So that you know, I, I, I was glad that they made that the key thread through yes. this. Because it does become important in Speaker for the Dead and the subsequent well, novels. And yes, and I was surprised that the movie kept going. It went past the end of the first book into yeah. the beginning of Speaker for the Dead. Yeah. It's like, wow, well, okay. They're setting up the um, sequel. It's pretty obvious. I think that's very clear. I wonder yeah. what people, I really wonder what people uh, who didn't read the book made of it. I wonder too, because the other thing is, I mean, they there it was a large story to make into a movie. Yeah. For example, I, I, I was telling Jenny, who did not read the book, but she saw the movie with did me. Did she enjoy that, it? Oh, very much. Oh, good. She, oh, I, good. She's, she okay. loves these kinds of movies. Yeah. I'm just like, how did I find her? So, um, <laughs> that, you know, like, I mean, there was all of this battle competition where, you know, they were in a cafeteria in my mind's eye from reading the book where, like, there, there was a whole, huge scoreboard showing all of the different teams and their rankings and placements. And they showed it for I mean, a second. I, it's like barely blinked on the screen. But those like, of us oh. who had read the book know yes. what we were saying. They lived and died by I that. Think I think they only they only had one or two battles in uh, the in the simulator, whereas in the book there are quite a few, and there's a lot more you know military strategy and all. It's yes. So read the book. I've told you this all along, and I cannot talk with you. On the air without really spoiling things about the no, one course, difference. We would, we would never, but there is a significant difference ever. that I cannot understand why the filmmakers decided to do it this way. Because it frankly lessens the impact of the movie. We'll save and, it for another day. <laughs> and, and I will also say, and you'll, you'll get a kick out of this. Because I, I was thinking, and thinking about this afterwards, I noticed that the strategy, the, ex, the physical strategy Ender used in one of those battles is exactly 
what he used at the end. It was, and it was nice to see that. Uh, yeah. In, in, in visually envisioned, because I, we yeah. of course listened to it and we envisioned it, but um, to see it, I thought that the the uh, what do they call the battle the simulation the gravity free simulation the battle anyway to see oh, that the battle room battle room ba- battle, to see the yeah. battle room brought to life was really great. Normally, yeah. I'm not thrilled by visualizations of something that I've built in my brain, but the battle room was kind of hard to visualize in your it's exactly mind. Exactly what I imagined. It was and beautifully exact, you know, done. Where they had things, you know, uh, they had the, you tr- know the, the birds, everything birds was done floating around perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, and visually, oh, Leo, the visuals yeah. were just okay, spectacular. Good. Yeah, I was curious. Yeah, yeah. We, Lisa and Michael and I saw it, and neither Michael nor Lisa had read the book, much to my chagrin, but yeah. uh, I think they enjoyed it. Not as much as I think if you've read the book, it's really worth seeing it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we're done. The battle room is nothing like the ball pit at McDonald's. That's another that's another pit entirely. Thank you, iBookery. Steve Gibson is uh, Stephen Tiberius Maury Gibson is the uh, man in charge <laughs> at uh, grc.com. That's his website for Gibson Research Corporation. You can follow him at sggrc on Twitter where he often tweets valuable links as you can hear. Uh you can also go to grc.com to get 16 kilobit uh audio versions of this show for the bandwidth impaired full transcripts written by a human being as well. You can also at the grc.com get spin right. You didn't mention spin right this week. But I did mention. Nope. It is the world's finest hard drive maintenance and recovery utility, and you must have it if you have a hard drive. Keeps the drives alive. Keeps the drives alive. Uh, and lots of other great stuff. His passwords there and all that stuff. Lots of insight. It's a really wonderful site just to get lost in, to wander around. You have so many links now. It's so deep now. It's really fun to go. GRC. Com. We do this show on Wednesday uh, at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 1900 UTC. If you want to watch live, please do. We love having you in the chat room watching live. I love just knowing you're there. But if you can't make it live, we always have audio and video on-demand versions, high-quality uh, versions on our site, twit.tv slash SN, and wherever finer podcasts are offered. I don't call it a podcast, but you understand. Thanks, Steve. We'll see you next week on Security Now. Thanks, Leo. Secure.